and welcome to another edition of the TopCast podcast. I am Dave Dunning. I don't think I say that very often, but anyway, um, it was Liverpool 3, Norwich City 1. It was Manchester City 2, somehow Tottenham Hotspur 3. And to discuss the game, to discuss this sudden massive weekend that we have kind of just lived through, um, I've got Andy Bell, I've got Neil Patterson and Chief just to start us off. Norris are very good. Form back, it's the new manager bounce that they say, whatever. Um, but we kind of rotate pretty heavily. The two fullbacks are changed, which I think is probably the biggest decision on the pitch in any game is who plays a fullback. But both of them change. Um, I think it's interesting how kind of central Gomez plays um, in an advanced position, which I don't know how often they've worked on that, but I think he did a good job. We get some front three messing about because, um, well, Jada was out. Firmino was out. And then the midfield is Henderson, Thiago and your mate, Chamberlain. And no Keita plays, not Thiago, Dave. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, Thiago Henderson and I sure I said Thiago or Keita was in my head. I've just done it again, haven't I? Anyway, um, so, so yeah, Henderson, Oxley, Chamberlain, and pretty good. I don't know how we're one 0 down when we are, but well, 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 good enough and far too equipped to be nil nil down at half time. Um, and there's every chance that we should be going in 2-3 up. Yeah, I mean, we were heavily rotated and we were a little bit disjointed in, in the first half. I think there's one occasion where they get in and, and Pookie has a, a semi-decent chance, although not as good as a chance as the, the commentators were trying to make out, certainly not by the expected goal stats at half time like, but um they had a chance. Um we created several. Uh Salah was on fire. He created a guilt edge chance for Simakas, who should bury it. I don't I don't think he knows how I missed it. Uh Salah has one cleared off the line from a corner. Um and there are other chances as well. Uh, Diaz rifles one just over the bar. So, I mean, there there are a few. And just on half-time, Oxlade-Chamberlain wastes a fabulous chance uh, by waiting too long and allowing a chance to come in before he gets a shot away when he could have just helped it on, uh, I think. Yeah, I don't know what to think about this, Steve, as well, but like, the disallowed goal, I actually looked at it and thought, I think that might be given. But the check was really quick. No, Dave, I'll tell you what happened. And I, call, I called this in the ground at the time. Mike Dean blows it up before it hits the net. Is that right? And they've tried, they've kept that very quiet all weekend. He blows it up before it hit the next. I remember saying the girl next to me, even if that is onside, they can't, they can't allow that. Because remember there was a thing a couple of years ago, was it Anthony Taylor in one of the games? And... I think he gave a handball against Lalana, but then the only reason he would have to stick with his decision because he nearly blew up before it went in the net. Either really fucked that mm. up big time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think it was offside, but they didn't even bother showing the line. They just we had a look at it this morning. It was, it was very, very tight. Yeah, very fast because I, I, I had I just did a silly a silly bet Van Dyke first goal in four 0 and I was waiting thinking that will be given, Chief. 
uh, and it was like the quickest offside bar um, ruling that it, that's happened so far, I would say. But anyway, I digress. We 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 make loads of chances, and we should be we more up. Do, we should be up, but um, it's one of them when you're not up because we haven't played that well and it is disjointed. And although these chances come, um, we're not we're not creating chance after chance after chance, and you know we we haven't stuck one away. More to the point, they get that really fluky deflected goal, and all of a sudden you're looking at it and thinking. Could it possibly be one of those days? Surely not. Surely we're past that now. And sure enough, we are um, because, you know, the changes come and, and the changes are necessary. And of course, they're planned, you know. So, you know, you could say everything sort of works out according to plan because the changes are made and we we go up through the gears. Chamberlain comes off. Tiago comes on. Um, Divock comes on. We go four four two, and it's like... Um, you know, they, we we blow them away. Two goals in two minutes, and then it's only one team is gonna is in the game from then on. And we wrap it up uh, with Diaz's brilliant sort of first goal in front of the cop. So, all front three all on target. Mane scores an absolute peach. Salah's goal is is a fucking lesson in cool, and uh, Diaz is just the archetypal beautiful fucking finish, isn't it? Lovely run, great ball, perfect finish. You couldn't really ask for any more and put the pressure on City and, you know, we saw what happened there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Andy, the... I got a little bit of, like, deja vu. The Mane goal is celebrated, like... A goal far more important than was actually scored, if that makes sense to you. And then the crowd are still in a bit of a high, and then Salah scores a couple of minutes later, and it absolutely goes off. And it reminded me of Chelsea game a couple of years ago when when Salah and Mane score kind of within a couple of minutes of each other, um, where the crowd are still like up. They're not really realizing what's going on in the pitch. Everybody's singing, everybody's happy, and then look around, and all of a sudden it's it's two nil from a wonder goal, and it was. Kind of this for me it was kind of similar, but what it said to me more than anything else was in the stadium, it's full of people that actually believe this is on, and that was even before the Spurs and City result. And we've talked about it before. There are certain type of goals where the crowd just celebrate that little bit more than other types. We've talked about the ones where you're one goal up and it's going late into the game and you get that second goal finally. There's goals that go in off the crossbar tend to be celebrated a bit more. There's goals that just trickle in and you know they're going in for a while and you finally get the moment. And to be fair, Salah's second goal is a bit like that. But another prime example of that is you get an important goal and then straight away you get that second important goal. It was maybe an equaliser and and then a a goal that puts you ahead, and that's that's exactly what Saturday was, and it was two of the biggest let-offs I've genuinely been in for Anfield this season, and you'd think, looking at the goals we've scored, and we've scored so many, we've scored so many important ones, you'd think the biggest celebrations would be the likes of the Salah goal against Man City, or I don't know, the, the, the equaliser against Chelsea, and don't get me wrong, they were massive celebrations as well, but the three that I, I genuinely think I've gone most mad over and I've seen the cop go most mad over, which is where I was on Saturday, was the two goals on, uh, against Norwich and then the Minamito equaliser against Leicester just before Christmas. And 
sometimes you just know Klopp's going to do the three fist pumps at the end based on the kind of game state and based on the fact that we've been in some sort of jeopardy. You know, we've had better results this season where he hasn't done it. We've had games where we've been less expected to win this season where he hasn't done that at the end. But when we've really had to dig in and where we've really been threatened for a while, he does it and you just knew he was going to do it on the on the Saturday there. And yeah, I mean, Chief's absolutely right. We play well in that first half for full value to go in at least one goal up at halftime, maybe two. And it's just an example of how variance and randomness plays a massive part in football and how we as fans really are so influenced by the scoreline. And it seems like an obvious thing to say, but you know, if two of those goals say that the, um, the Salah header off the line goes in and the Simicast one goes in, which are two huge chances, you're talking about a great first half performance there, 2-0. But as it goes, we, we get a, it's a fluky deflection and we end up, you know, talking about the game in the sense that Liverpool didn't create enough and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's not really true. And we get our just rewards in the end. But I think the most impressive thing about the performance was how calm we kept. And, you know, I was an absolute disgrace personally in the ground between the Mane and the Salah goal. I was absolutely like it was an out of body sort of thing. I was just completely lost the head. And the copper telling people to shoot from 30 yards every game, which is doing my head in at the minute. Um you know, everyone's panicking, but the players remain patient. They were conscious of the time. They knew we had 30 minutes left on the clock. They knew the chances would come as they'd been doing all game. And we're just rewards for that 3-1 win. And I almost think the way in which we win it is far more beneficial than our routine 3 4 5 nil. Yeah, there are some some games that just that just mean more than the three points. And that could well be one of them. Chief finally touches on a good point there, um, a pertinent point for me about the patience, um, about the not shooting from 30 yards, about the trusting in the process that has been coached into these players relentlessly over the last couple of years since we have started to transition to a more possession-based team. And the third goal, third goal is just, for me, it's absolutely sublime. It's, It's 34 passes before a Diaz Dink. Um, Henderson Mills wins the ball back high up the pitch. And again, it's basically all around the coaching. Um, Gomez is heavily involved in that inside kind of right back trendy kind of position. Thiago flings an look pass 40 yards to switch the play. And then we continue to reset and reset and reset. Come back, come back, come back. And we don't get anywhere near their box, really until that absolutely sublime Henderson pass into Diaz's really intelligent run. And he finishes it phenomenally competently. And for me, that is the patience. That's the the confidence. And not allowing them time to sit on their laurels, rest on their laurels, with the ball being moved around so quickly. Um, it's just exactly what we need to be doing and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a hark back to that that year we won the league where we just assert total possessional dominance over a side we haven't seen often enough in my book this season yeah i mean talk about that goal it was it was all a bit barcelona wasn't it It was all about peps peps barcelona um the patient build up very you know walking pace at times and then you know, just spotting that gap and bang, two two passes or one pass, three touches, it's in the back of the net. 
um, lovely move all round. I think it starts with Jordan Henderson and Gomez kind of exchanging passes for once or twice before before it sort of begins to move. And as you say, yeah. it's set up and comes back. The only player that has the ball actually um, with the 34 passes is Origi. And that kind of, it kind of backs the point up that we're nowhere near the penalty area until the actual first, Diaz's first touch and then the finish. Well, that's it. I mean, I think his first touch is maybe even, is it maybe even just outside the box, but he, um, we're not in the box at any, at any time until then, until it's important, until we're ready to kill them. And the finish is, is delightful. Um, it really is a, a lovely, lovely goal, and it's a killer goal, and it's a goal that if City were watching, which maybe they were, just um, just puts the frighteners on them a little bit, I would say, because the manner in which, you know, um, Andy referenced it there, the manner of the win, um, you know, to, to have to sort of come from uh, from a goal down and being a little bit of adversity, and you've made seven changes, and things are, are a little disjointed, and you haven't taken your chances, to then turn it on in such a way and take such command of the game is just, uh, you know, it's, City will have maybe had the thought, oh, is it is it not going to go for them today? It's you know, and then they'll have seen that and gone, okay, right, they're they're not fucking about here. Basically, uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to be on our metal and the goal itself, the possession based style, but it's 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 that's why I reference Pet. Barcelona there they had they had that and then they had that killer in, instinct to absolute to basically just punch as soon as they pull you pull you around move you there here move you there slowly bang 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 and as soon as there's a gap they would absolutely exploit it and, and kill you dead in seconds and that's exactly what we did um it's glorious like the the options up front are are you know the best I would say we've had in my Liverpool supporting life at this point. I mean, you've got I mean, you've got Diaz, you've got Jota, you've got Mane, Salah, Firmino, and you've got lads in behind that even who can who could make an argument that could even play across there and, and chip in with a few goals. It's it's scary, and Diaz looks an absolute player, and it's it's a brilliant pass from Henderson. It's a great run from Diaz, you know, great vision to spot the gap, and then a brilliant run. And the two touches are are perfect, so you know it's a wonderful goal, and it caps a you know a very commanding last half an hour from the team, and yeah, a bit of a statement. Yeah, I think it is a bit of a statement, Andy. And the the statement that I took from it, what made a statement to me was how good Thiago Alcantara is in football. Um. We've been banging this from for a while now about him being the key, and you know that was no more emphasised than in the last half an hour. There, he is—he is what is going to take us to a level that maybe we haven't been to before. He's going to evolve our game when he's on the pitch. And she's right to reference Pep's Barcelona because it was a bit like that, and it's no surprise watching him play football that he spent the majority of his career. Being coached by Pep Guardiola, completely. This, yeah, this he for me. We we do everything this season, but 
this is the guy for me that is going to enable us to do that. We've just got to keep him on the pitch as often as we can. Yeah, completely. I think, I mean, he's he's just phenomenal on Saturday. There's no real analysis I, I can do on it. His control of the football, his mastery of the football is, is just purely artistic at times, isn't it? He's such a joy to watch. He's so aesthetically pleasing, but he also impacts the game in exactly the same way. And sometimes players struggle to marry those two things together, but Thiago does it in the in the most beautiful of ways, doesn't he? And I think you mentioned uh, something there, I think, when you were you were chatting to Chief about the, the possessional football that, that Liverpool have, have kind of grown into, which isn't really the, the football club necessarily would wants to play, but teams just realised that there was no point in trying to keep a hold of the ball because Liverpool's pressing was just so effective and you're actually better just... You're taking your chances, sitting in deep, and basically having no interest and in the kicking, ball at and all. Kicking it, kicking it, kicking it, the very, very worst. Completely, yeah. And then when we had uh, Van Dijk in his prime, you know, it just came straight back because he was so early dominant and he was so dominant in every way. And then when we lost that, teams had a bit more hope. And I think in general, there's been a bit of a, a shift from teams who who think they can be a little bit more pro- progressive against us. And I think they're probably right to. Because you've literally no chance that Liverpool have got so good at breaking these oppositions down where they sit in. And, you know, you you look at the last couple of weeks, Inter matches up for 60 minutes, but ultimately Liverpool are bigger and stronger and fitter. And I, there's certainly no team in this league who's bigger, stronger and fitter than us. I don't think there's a team in Europe that's bigger, stronger or fitter than us. You know, inevitably we're wearing teams down. And a lot of what we're doing... You know, you look at that Inter game and you look at that Norwich game. Well, Norwich isn't a great example because we have a couple of chances. But in the Burnley game as well, we almost the, the first goal is the first real chance we have. And Liverpool are so obsessed with creating this 9 out of 10 chance that, you know, taking a pot shot, which is maybe a 6 out of 10 chance or a 7 out of 10 chance, it's not worth doing because you just lose the ball. And this tiring out of the opposition, this constant press on the opposition is almost Liverpool's version of, of chances that go just wide or the keeper making the save or hitting the post. And it's just uh, it's just so relentless and dominant. And Thiago's just come into that and exacerbated that. And, uh, you know, people gave him a lot of stick last season when he came in and he seemed to be missing tackles here, there and everywhere. And I think because of the reputation when he signed, he didn't really get the chance to to fit in and adapt to the fitness and the the. The, the general intensity of a Jurgen Klopp side, the way Robertson did, the way Fabinho did. He never really got that, but now he has got it, and he's in so much control of football matches. And it's uh, it's a joy to watch, and you're right, we just have to find a way of keeping him fit. And if that means we don't play him for certain games and we look a lot worse, then so be it, because it's a lot worse than the next best alternative, which is him being out for a couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chief, Andy touches on a point there. We are big and strong, like we're huge and we're strong. And we marry those two skills together along with real technical ability, you know, like really highly skilled technical footballers, intelligent footballers. And no one player does that better than Virgil van Dijk. He is physically everything you want him to be, but with the ball, he's absolutely outstanding. And it's another little milestone in this slow momentum that we've been starting to build. And we'll come on to that with Andy shortly afterwards. But he, in the last probably three games, I would say, we've been able to look at him and go, I see you. And you were in there, and I knew you were nearly there, but now I see you. You are, you are Virgil van Dijk now. 
And this is another attribute, another string to our bow, something else that can propel us to multiple, multiple, multiple times, multiple victories in a row in the league that can get us to a point where literally City's head falls off. Yeah, well, he's back. I mean, he's, he's, which is obviously what you're alluding to. I mean, he's very much the real Virgil van Dijk. Um, it's taken him maybe until, probably until January to to really sort of um, get back to his very best after obviously what was a season end and injury and um, you know and just a, a gradual kind of recovery although he's played pretty much pretty much every league game since the start of the season but uh, he's been working his way back in there was certainly a period where he was sort of testing himself and managing his body a little bit but now he looks he looks every inch the Virgil van Dijk of 1819 and 1920. Um, it only bodes well, and it is another um, factor which which just makes Man City sit up and and take notice a little bit more. Um, it's one of those things that City have been, you know, have taken advantage, of course, of. Liverpool's um, injury crisis last season, uh, but it's sort of one of those things that gets forgotten about and was quite quite quickly sort of um, pushed aside as as a reason for City's eventual dominance in the league last season. But um, it clearly played a massive role, and now with Virgil being um, being back to being the player he was. It it just solidifies everything for us. It just makes us much much meaner. That you can you can see the difference in the way we're playing defensively in the last six weeks. You know, compared to the, the likes of the Brighton game uh, earlier in the season, the likes of the Brentford game earlier in the season, where we're um, we we have leads in both of them, and you know, ordinarily we would just close them out, and you know, we're we're conceding daft goals. We're we're conspiring to concede daft goals. It's just not happening now. Um, we're back to being that um, lean, efficient defensive machine. In the sense of, you know, you, you can, t- you, you can. Another factor is the offsides. Um, the number of times we're catching opposing strikers offside now is is, is gone back to being where it was before, where we were our, our uh, line was being sprung quite regularly earlier in the season. That's just not happening now. So, you know. It is, as you said, he's a massive factor in um, giving us the tools to go on a long, long win and run because you just don't see us throwing leads away now. And with the firepower we have and the quality we have in front of Virgil um, and the prowess we have, including Virgil from set pieces as well, you, you don't see us not scoring. So that's why, you know, I'm very, very, it's a very, good place to be now to be a Liverpool fan and, and be looking at the running ahead of us the points on the board the games left to play I mean we're handily placed yeah I love that expression handily placed and we are handily placed Andy and not just in a in the sense of the league table but also in also in the feeling around the club and you talked about this a few weeks ago and I, I totally agree with you and we've seen these little milestones over the last couple of months that have started to develop a slow but very, very significant momentum with this side. So the guys go into the AFCON, 
and we call off the back of some bad results. We think that's it, we're done. And then we win every game, bar the first leg away to Arsenal in the League Cup um, semi-final. Jota steps up to the plate, you know, we get his song, which again, is just something else that galvanises the fan base and with clubs, you know, he's relentless in focusing on and reiterating how important that is. We get the Diaz signing with the AFCON guys back. Southampton take points off City and Virgil starts to look good and all of a sudden we get the Spurs result and as I said before, there's a sense of belief here now that we can actually do this and it will take maybe another couple of those little milestones to happen for it to, for it to go our way, but in my eyes, kind of nearly there. Yeah, literally, what you've just said is is what I've been saying over the last couple of days, is that we've needed this momentum, we've needed these catalysts. You look a month ago, we're eight points behind City. We've just got beaten by Leicester. They don't look for all the world like they're going to drop points ever again. They look like it's just a team of robots that have been assembled for the most money. They're the best in the world in their positions, and there's no way of stopping them. And if we were ever going to be eight points or more better than Manchester City over those next four months, we needed serious external influences, catalysts, tangible momentum, and you've rattled through a couple of them there yourself. Let's start with the most recent. The way we win on Saturday and the way they lose on Saturday is the biggest one. You've got the return of Elliot, the return of Tiago, the return of the African lads. The signing of Diaz will inspire the fans, the team, you know, the, the backroom staff. There's so much that's coming together for us now. And it has to. Because if you don't have these factors, external factors, things that you can't count things that you can't put an arbitrary value on the likes of momentum the likes of confidence the likes of the feeling that is generally created around liverpool football club and the city of liverpool that manchester city just can't match they just can't do it they don't have the history they don't have values they don't have that fan base for it there's so much of that's coming together for us now and i think i'm gonna bottle this exact quote but it was a, what's the Einstein quote about not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. And Manchester City have got all the stuff that can be counted to, to a T. They've got all the analytics. They've got all the recruitment. They've got all the money in the world to buy the best players. They've got all the best systems. They've got all their wee nerdy Pythagoras triangles and geometry that Guardiola does with them. But what they don't have is what we need to be really, really good at. And right now, we're riding this crest of a wave to an unbelievable level. We're in all four competitions, as we'll come on to talk about. We've got all these things going for us right now. And I think Wednesday night against Leeds is going to be one of the best atmospheres you'll see at Anfield. Bit of rivalry in there, under the lights, after what's happened. And it's going to become like you think of other times when we've had this sort of momentum, the run in 13-14, where you have people gathering outside the stadiums doing the bus welcomings, the um, Europa League run under Klopp, same sort of thing, the runs into the title. When we get that momentum, we we create something between the fans and the players and the connect between the two that, that Man City can't touch. And the only way we will ever supersede that team is by making the most of those sorts of things. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. There, there's something that we can do for our team and our players and our manager that, that no other side can. And it is fine margins in this division, especially with Manchester City. And we get it gets lost sometimes, I think, how good this Liverpool team are because of Manchester City. And there's a lot of criticism thrown at this Liverpool side because of Manchester City. Um, if this was happening... 10, 15 years ago, you know, nobody is, is, nobody has any reason or any ability or any scratching of the surface of an absolute nonsense theory to complain about. Chief, another player, again, the first goal, the first goal kicks us off. And it's a really, really good finish from Mane. It's a really difficult one. It's one of those ones where it's it's not really an overhead kick because it's kind of in front of him, but over his shoulder a little bit, and he adjusts his body so well. It's his, it's something I've been wanting to see, the same as Diaz, is him get off the mark and him go on one of those runs that he can go on, because that could be just something else that drives us forward. And I think something that's driving him forward is the fact that he's just come back from the AFCON. He's an absolute hero. He's player of the tournament. He's looking now at the competitions that Liverpool have a realistic chance of, of going and winning. And he could be thinking to himself, I'm genuinely in with the Ballon d'Or shout here. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he you know, certainly could be in with a shout. I mean, obviously the uh, caveat is um, uh, if Liverpool go on to, to do the great things that they, they certainly can do and, and we hope they do we believe that they very well might um but yeah we, what what would be good is if Manny could could just kick on again could just up his level slightly for us because it's a fabulous fabulous goal and he, he has a habit of doing this to me but it, it came again in a game where I was thinking god we need a bit more from you here Sadio son um and there he pops up he pops with a with a sensational finish and it's you know you could argue it's the most important goal of the three um in the sense that you know without it you can't get the other two um but i think it's fair to say that is he hasn't had the best of seasons for us and he misses another good chance with a header in, in the first half um and he's just not nothing's really coming off for him. There's one where he should head it back into the middle and he goes for goal from a mad angle. If he just nods it back in the middle, it's a it's a tap in. I think it's for Diaz. Um he's things aren't quite coming off for him, but uh so that overhead certainly did. It's it's a lethal finish. And I think from there he um he um you know he, he came into the game a lot more. But I would just like to see him go on again because he's had a fantastic AFCON. As you said, he's been named the player of the tournament, but more importantly, he's, he's, he's taken the winning penalty. He scored the winning penalty for Senegal in their first ever African Cup of Nations victory after coming so close that many times. And, you know, he is a national hero now forever, forever and ever. Amen. Um, so, you know, I think you'd have to say that's a massive weight, probably off his shoulders. And maybe now he can he can just go on and and you know because sometimes he he plays like he like he has a burden on his shoulders you know he's in his head quite often he's he's he can let things get on top of him and it would be nice to see him play with some freedom now and and yeah because if he 
if his uh, numbers go up now towards the end of the season, that's that's another thing that just fires us further and further and closer and closer to to what we want to achieve. Yeah. So for him, you know, if, if he can do the quadruple with uh, with Liverpool and Atad as African African combinations, then you know, he he who else could you give the Ballon d'Or to? Yeah, he might not even be the best player at Liverpool, Andy, <laughs> and could win the Ballon d'Or. Um, but Chief mentions his numbers there, and rightly so, and the form that he's been in. But if you actually boil it down to pure numbers, there's only three players in the Premier League that have scored more goals than him this season, and it's Jada, Salah, and Raheem Sterling. So, you know, the numbers are a factor, but I think it's the same as when I said us judging Liverpool are certainly some fans judging Liverpool against Manchester City. We constantly judge Sadio Mane against Mo Salah, and we sometimes forget how good he actually is. Even if we look at him and think you're not quite at your best, he is still delivering. I I always thought that Mane was having a decent enough season. I, I didn't really, I don't know whether you appreciate it a little bit more on the ground, but he's so tenacious and. So good at kind of holding men off for the size of him. And um, even though, like, maybe, well, you've just said the numbers are there. I was going to say the numbers haven't been there. Compared I think, I think to it's, the, it's two in his last ten, which I think, and that was, it was one in nine before then. So I kind of, I kind of understand that. But, you know, he's, like I say, he's, there's only three players have scored more than him. And, you know, he went to the AFCON and played right to the finals himself. So, Jota and and uh, whoever else is there, Sterling. Fair enough, it's it's, it's one in three goals, but you know, Salah's out this season has been probably up there with his best. And the, the other thing is, like, I swear I've only seen him in that number nine really plays on Saturday a handful of times. I remember one specifically in the title run-in when we don't win it and we get 97 points where he plays here against Watford and he scores that mad back heel finish and I swear he's really good in the couple of times he's played there and obviously him and Firmino are very different players but what they're being asked to do in that number nine role is quite similar and Klopp singled Firmino out for praise in midweek when he said that you know it's so hard for Bobby coming into it because I think you know the where he receives the ball he's literally defenders coming at him from all angles and it's so hard to get that decision making right and that touch right and your pass right it's so hard to do that. And, you know, while Mane plays the role differently to Firmino, he still has to do that job. And I thought he did really, really well on Saturday. And, you know, that kind of tenacious nature of him that I was, I was mentioning in the first part there, I feel like sometimes he can do that. He can hold off at, you know, a really strong fullback and, and get the ball and, and get turned around. But he's always kind of right on the the the, uh, the touchline when he does that. And then, so you, you've gone to all that work and you've done that brilliant work, but still all you've, done is kind of got possession in that position and then need to find a pass whereas when he does not in the number nine position then all of a sudden you've got a shot on you've got a three ball on and you're more central to the goal you're more involved in the play so I'm wondering if and you know we don't really know what the news is on Jota and Firmino we know Jota's uh, better than first feared Firmino's probably worse than first feared by the, by the sounds of it and who knows if they're going to make the weekend but it wouldn't shock me if they have you know, intelligence and sports science are telling them, listen, you're not going to have Jota or Manny, or you're not going to have Jota or Firmino for the, the cup final. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's he, he's gone early on this and thought, right, well, this is my plan for someday. It's it's going to be Manny down the middle, and that's why I'm going to do it. 
and not least because you know Diaz sort of has to play on the left, Salas sort of has to play on the right. I think we could be on to something there. It wouldn't shock me if, if looking at Leeds, he, he gives Mane the rest because he wasn't supposed to play Mane Burnley. He had to throw him in because Jota got the dead leg. And since then, Mane's never got that rest that he was supposed to have. So I wonder, is that is half of the thinking that I'm going to need to rotate Mane out here? I want to keep Salah right, Diaz left. I'll put Origi through the middle against Leeds and, and then Mane back in for the final. We're speculating, but I thought it was interesting. It is interesting, Chief, and I thought what was really interesting was that front three. That's kind of the front three that we've always talked about, like post-Firmino. Three players that can interchange that kind of all do the same thing. And that Mane to the middle thing, it's, it's always Mo that gets pushed out there for whatever reason, stuck for a third forward. Um, even when Minamino's the one that comes in, you see him playing from the right instead of the left to push Salah through the middle. But Mane gives you, for me, that we get hit him with a high ball. He has this like weird internal Drogba switch that he turns on. And this, I think, as Andy says, this could be a legitimate way forward for the next year, 18 months. As an option, but I don't necessarily see Sabio Mane staying post the end of his contract, which is 18 months away. Yeah, uh, no, neither do I, particularly at this point. Um, it seems unlikely. It seems that we've probably had his best years in the Premier League. Uh, that's not to say that he couldn't go to another league in Europe and, and rip it up for a few more years. But I think given the, the pace uh, and relentless nature, particularly of how you have to play when you're playing for this Liverpool side, I think we've probably seen uh, Mane's peak. But at the same time, I think he could do a job through the middle. Uh, I think he's more of a centre-forward than um, than uh, Salah actually is. Um, Salah likes his angles, as you say, Um Mane has his um, penchant for for tussling and for challenging for high balls and all the rest of it. So um, I think he also played up front a couple of a good few times for Southampton back in when he was playing there. Um, so he's no stranger to it either, and he's done well as has been referenced when he's when he's been there for us. But no, it, uh, you know I think the succession plan is already there a little bit with with Diaz. And we'll see what we do in the summer here. Um, 18 months to Elton's contract. It seems unlikely that uh, we'll offer him a, another big deal. Um, but but again, you never know. But I'd just love to see him kind of, like I said, just um, keep those levels up. As you say, the numbers are there, but you know it's it's two in his last ten, as you as you reference. So they have dropped off. And fair enough, he's he's had Afcon to deal with, and maybe that was on his mind, um, whatever it may be. But that's why I'm saying, and it would be lovely if he could just play now with the freedom, and now that he's got that um, sort of monkey off his back a little bit with with Senegal. So yeah, love the player. He's, he was there right at the beginning of of the club revolution, one of one of you know the first major signings, and what a player he is. Um, and hope he continues to be. 
yeah, let's hope so. Um, even if it's only for another 18 months. Andy, um, let's look the leads. This lead side, we know what they're all about. Um, they are infinitely worse without Patrick Bamford, and they are infinitely worse than that without Calvin Phillips. There are some stats playing around points picked up with Calvin Phillips versus points picked up without him, and it's like night and day. So, given the rate in which they're conceding goals and given the rate in which we're scoring goals, you'd like to think that this is fairly straightforward. And how much rotation do you see? You'd like to think it will be a formality. The, the form of the two sides said that, says that. But I see this as differently to the likes of Brentford at home a couple of weeks ago where they were off form and we came into it and I was just kind of expecting a, a formality from the start because in my mind, with them not being informed, there's no way they could hurt us and there was no way they could be better than us over 90 minutes. With Leeds, they're not doing well, but they're unpredictable. They have a manager who is a genuine sort of revolutionary in the game and has done so well with them over this time. And, you know, albeit they've loads of injuries, they've loads of players who are short of confidence, they've still got this mad system which can cause trouble for any teams and causes trouble for United at the weekend, albeit they're not very good. And when it goes wrong, it goes very wrong. You see that with 7-0 defeat to City and a couple of the other heavy defeats they've had this season. But it's still one of those where there's a bit of edge for me. It's not like we're going to play Norwich again. It's not like we're going to play Brentford or we're going to play Watford at home. And maybe it's in my head because it's Leeds and the name and because of the you know, the idea of Bielsa. But I, I do feel like this could be tricky enough. I still expect us to win, but... In terms of how much rotation do I think they'll be, I think he'll, he'll play the same, pretty much the same team he's going to play in the cup final, actually, for this one. Um, because otherwise, why would he rotate so heavily for Norwich? I think we all know that this Liverpool side does not react well to a week and a half off. So if you're giving these players a week and a half off for the cup final, you're asking for trouble. Um, you know, you're not telling me that if this Leeds game wasn't rescheduled for Wednesday night, that he would have made the changes he did against Norwich, knowing they had a week well, more than a week, eight days before the League Cup finally, just wouldn't have done it. He's earmarked this game. It's as- an interesting point, yeah. It's an interesting point, Andy, because I there was so much rotation at the weekend, I kind of thought that that would be the rotation that we would see during the week. Yeah, um, I didn't expect to see the rotation we did at the weekend, but we know that, that Jurgen Klopp, he, he takes these games in blocks, and this probably five-week period where we're playing every midweek is a block that he's thinking about, and Listen, as long as the rotation isn't in the derby again, then I'm more or less okay with it. But he's, 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 he picks a couple of games and he always changes things about. He clearly thought that the team on Saturday could get away with it. He was right in the end. Uh, ultimately, we do. But I think he wants the strongest team to play Marcelo Bielsa's leads. I think he has respect for him. I think he knows what they can, the damage they can cause us. And in the three games we've played against them since they've come up, you've got that mad one first game of last season. You've got the uh, the one-all draw when it was sort of Leeds against the world, and that's why it was billed with the Super League that day, wasn't it? And then you've got the one this season where we end up three 0 winners, but for a lot of that game, it's it's you, we have to we're world class that day actually to come away three 0 winners. We're so so good in that game, and we needed to be to, to to get a comfortable win there. Um, and I think part of the reason why he makes so many changes from Saturday is because remember how good that Fabinho Thiago Elliott midfield was at Elm Road before Elliott went off injured. I think that he's he's got that in his mind that he wants that midfield to play against Leeds again because it's a very unique um, 
setup and opposition you're going to come up against. And he knows something that definitely worked there. And I think he'd want to see that again. And then the only question mark for the weekend, I guess, would be whether you go for Elliot or Henderson. Yeah, okay. That's fair enough. Chief, um, I think Ali's right. I think Bielsa's not going to compromise himself for us. So there is a very obvious blueprint there of, of what we need to do to go and get the three points. They are probably at the lowest tab they've been under Bielsa, I would say. I find it difficult. We've talked about key players that are out. And I think it is an interesting one as to who he starts. I think there's an interesting question at centre half between Matip and Kanate, because I think Kanate, or Matip's form has been as ropey as it's been in the last probably three years. Um, I think there's a question in the midfield. Does he risk Thiago? Does he give him another 30? Does he hook Fabinho? Does Henderson start? Elliot, for me, is the obvious one there. Um, and then the front three, does he risk starting all of the front three or does he maybe look to bring Origi in and give Manny half an hour from the bench? There's loads of questions here and I don't know the answers to any of them. And you probably don't either, but let's pretend that you do. Yeah, it is all pretense. Now, let's be clear, listener. Um, definitely uh, don't have the answers, but um, I'd be inclined to agree with, with Andy that he'll go, he'll start with, with pretty close to his um, cup final team. <clears throat> I think he's got it, you know, um, it's, is it Wednesday night, Thursday? It's Wednesday night, isn't it? So it's Wednesday, Sunday. So it's kind of the perfect recovery time for a team that's used to playing two games a week. Um, as we've referenced, a lot of the big guns had the, the week off there um, at the weekend or the, the, the day off at the weekend. Um, so both fullbacks got the rest. Fabinho got the rest. Thiago only gets half an hour. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of rest handed out there. Um, Kanate is an interesting one. That would be, you know, for me, I'd be down. Probably whoever starts tomorrow again is looking to to start the cup final. I think first sixty, you know, he's going to go that way. Um, hope to have the game won and and um, and then begin to make changes after that. I think he'll he'll want to see what it looks like. I think he'll want um, the team to be in rhythm. And as Andy very you know, um, adeptly pointed out, why make all the changes for for uh, Norwich if you're going to make uh, another raft of changes um, in the midweek? I think you, you take them out to rest them. You don't want to give them too much time off. You want to get them limber and, and ready for the game uh, on Sunday. And um, Leeds are what can be despite looking incredibly vulnerable at the minute and, and there for the taking, they, they also pose a, a unique threat, as you mentioned, Dave, and they don't stop running for 90 minutes. So you need you need your best players out there. Um, so I think it works on, on a number of levels and we've been in a, a luxurious position. Klopp's had the luxury of, of being able to make those changes at the weekend. So um, injuries notwithstanding, I, I don't think he's... He's got any real selection headaches, and I would expect to see a quote unquote full strength side. Okay, so close enough to a full strength side with the cup final in hand, Andy, and the 
Cup final. Chelsea aren't at their best right now. They are cumbersome and laborious in what they're doing. Lukaku broke a record of the fewest touches in the penalty area. Or no, sorry, fewest touches anywhere in the pitch. Seven touches in the entire match or something. Or four in the first half and one of them was a kickoff. Yeah, that's right. So this team doesn't look like it kind of knows what to do with itself. And we're very, we're very much the opposite where, you know, the Diaz Simon is just another fine example that we buy players that slot or just instantly into a system that we play because we know exactly what they're about. And it's like a jigsaw puzzle piece. I am very confident around this game, given, sorry, notwithstanding the fact that we've drawn twice with them this season. I think there's a couple of factors in, in what's um, caused the demise of Chelsea this season. I think, first of all, when you make so many big money sign-ins, and we, we said this about Man City at the start of the season, and it's something that, you know, when you inevitably you get the results for quite a while and sometimes you can get the results for a whole season. Sometimes it can work. The downside to that is, and as Klopp has referenced many times, it's why he wants a small squad. It's a squad harmony. It's keeping everyone happy. So you've got that, you know, inevitably there's not enough games in the season that you can get, you can get everyone first choice and you can get them all games. The second thing is Thomas Tuchel, everywhere he goes, does people's heads in. He just has that personality about him. It's his man management um, he's renowned to do this. He, he's clearly a very good manager. And he's clearly a very um, intelligent tactical manager. But he does everyone's heads in everywhere he goes. He did it at PSG. He's doing it at Chelsea. And to his credit, he rode that crest of a wave after Lampard for a lot longer than I thought he would have. And winning the Champions League and you know sustaining the title challenge for a few months after that is more than the crest of a wave. We have to give him credit. But... Now you're sort of seeing everything falling down. You're seeing Lukaku doing these interviews. You're seeing players unhappy, and you're, uh, you know, inevitably that leads to drab performances, which is which is what we have been seeing. I do share your confidence for this game. Um, I think that if we had those front five to choose from, especially with the five substitutes, I'd be in no doubt that we would that we would come away victors on Sunday. Um, I would be in no doubt about it whatsoever. With potentially the two of them being out, and I think like even just have Jot on the bench, even if he can just do half an hour, and that half hour might have to be an extra time. I think that that gives us an edge as well. Well, I think we already have an edge. I think that would put us firmly in the box seat for it. So I'm just really hoping for some positive news on that. We have drawn twice with them this season, but that first game, I mean, we watched it together. That the minute they got the red card and the equaliser. That's not how that's not how a game between Liverpool and Chelsea is going to play out without the red card. Not least how a cup final is going to play out. The second one's a bit mad. We're not in great form. Um, the draw in the end doesn't really suit either team. There's a mad five minutes. Kanate plays that day, doesn't he? As opposed to Matip. I don't think Matip's quite a distance better than Kanate right now. Albeit I've been impressed with Kanate when he's came in. So I think there's plenty of, of, of things there that you have to take into consideration. As well as that, I don't think we have Thiago at Stamford Bridge. I don't, we definitely don't have Elliot at Stamford Bridge. I think we, we end up having to play Milner there. The squad's in a lot healthier a position injury-wise and fitness-wise and availability-wise than what it was in January um, and what it was back in August. You know, we've more or less got a fully fit squad before the couple that cropped up at the weekend. 
So I'm confident. I think I think we're going to win it. Yeah, I'm fairly confident too. Chief, let's just finish off with a, a cup final 11 each. Assuming, let's assume that Jara is touch and go, but like you could or couldn't start him. You know, you can maybe risk him for 60 or you can not risk him for 30, if you get what I mean. Um, you want me to fire away then? I would... Yeah, knock yourself out, mate. So, obviously, yeah. honest, it's, it's, putting, it's putting numbers out of the hat desk because we have no idea, but let's just yeah, do absolutely. it for fun. I mean, the first 11 you'd imagine, I'd imagine anyway, is, is Alison, um, Robo, Trent, Van Dyke, Madip. Um, then midfield you're looking at Thiago, Fabinho, I'd say Henderson. Um, and then front three of Bobby's out, is he? So you're looking at um, if John is fit, I'm starting him. Um, I'm probably starting, probably saying Jota, Mane, Salah, Diaz off the bench. Um, if Jota is less fit, then probably switch uh, Jota and, and Diaz. Uh, either would be good to come off the bench. Um, both of them could change a game. But if Jota is, you know, anywhere close to 100%, I'd, I'd be starting him. Yeah, it's... Hmm. I'm just trying to remember in my head. The Klopp's... I'm, I'm sure that Klopp has already healed his colours to the mast on the goalkeeper. Did he say Keller yeah, was starting? he said Keller was oh, starting. Sorry, it's the Carabao Cup final, obviously. So Keller yeah. starts, sorry. But aside from that, it'll be... That, that's the team I would pick. I would pick oh. Ali anyway, but um, but since Klopp's already said it, it's Kevin's Cup, then fair enough. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think he's played all but one game in it. Um, sure, Alisson played one of the legs against Arsenal landing, yeah? Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. He did, yeah. So I think this is just another, it's just another um, piece of evidence about the man, the importance of the people management side of this football club and how that how highly valued that is by the manager. Um, I think she's probably not far off, if not bang on, what he's talking about. I think there are there are three interesting questions here. First of all, centre half, Malibu Kanate, I'm not really sure. If we're going by your logic and saying that the Leeds game will be as close as you'll probably see, then you've got to assume it's Kanate because there's no way that Joel Maddox is playing three games in, in eight days. The midfield third option, I think... You say that, Dave. He, he's been doing that recently. The whole This whole idea of Maddox can't play three games at, in a week, which is something Klopp said, to be fair. It seems to have gone out the window this season. Yeah, but Kanate has played... Kanate's played more than I thought he would, and it's always been at Maddox's expense. Mm. You know that that's what I would say. So, is it well, Maddox? maybe just can I take him in then tomorrow or um, for Leeds? <laughs> Potentially, probably, but again, if he does, by the conversation we had earlier on, that means by default he would start start the fight. Yeah, well, that's but true. I, but I don't know. So. 
this is why I feel that this conversation is really pointless. That, I'm, I think fair, but the one thing I'd say is you don't you don't lose anything by not playing Matt up there four days before in the sense that he's played in that side so many times in so many big games, he'd just slot right in. So you might potentially see him rested for Leeds and come back in for the final. Um, Maybe, but it, I do think there's a form issue there with Manup though. And I like I'm the last person that's ever going to say that, but I genuinely do think there's a bit of a form issue. Like even what? for the goal that's 34 passes, he plays a really yeah. good back pass that Gomez has to recover for. And there's a couple of little things early in the game. First couple of minutes, he, he tracks out wide and the cross comes in. There's no way he should let that cross come in. And it's kind of back, Andy, a little bit back to this this version of Joel Manop that I remember from the Bournemouth Horror Show where we lose 4-3 and Karius gets all the blame. But I remember watching that game thinking, Manop's dead good, but he's just a bit too passive for me. He needs to be a bit more aggressive and for me, it was a little bit back to that tool, Matt. I'm not sure I've noticed that as much. You might be right, but yeah, I mean the um, the goal for are they? You, you had the difference going on about those 34 passes. Somebody pointed out one of those was a very lucky uh, Joel Matip miss kick, which could have easily led to to a goal for them. But I'm not sure you can really entirely judge him on that. I mean, he's, he's had such a good season, and I think he, he is quite a distance ahead of Kanate for me to, to start this final. So I, I mean. I actually agree exactly with what Chiefs team is. Um, the only thing I, I would slightly disagree on was, you know, if, well, I, I'm not even sure if I'm disagreeing, but like if Jota is, can play 60 minutes, I think because you've got the five subs, you do him for the first 60. Um, because Diogo Jota's in our best, in our best 11 right now. There's no doubt about that. And then you can bring a Diaz on and you can, you can sort of sell that to Diaz. He hasn't been here very long and it would be tight enough to drop one of those front three who have been here for so long and maybe, you know, they've won everything there is to win, but also, also, you know, the number of trophies we've won doesn't actually represent how, uh, or doesn't, it's not representative of how good a side we are. So I think they'll want to add another one to their trophy cabinet as well. So I think the only question mark over what we're, uh, over what Chief said, and I actually agree with this team, would be, does he do Harvey Elliott over, over Henderson? Because at this point, it just doesn't surprise me if Klopp throws Harvey Elliott into any game whatsoever. I kind of agree with that, but I yeah. kind of I kind of wonder. It's a cup final, and I kind yeah, of wonder I, is that is that going to be at the expense of Jordan Henderson? That was it would be yeah. That was my thinking. Uh, would he would he do club captain, cup final? He's lifted all those trophies. He's been there, done it. Will he will he throw Elliot in? Uh, but I did I did definitely have a a thought about that like. Um, because, like you said, you just wouldn't surprise you at all. He obviously rates him so highly and has very specific ideas about what he wants him to do. But yeah. I just probably handle handle get the nod, like. Yeah, the one thing for me on this, just just to close this out, is I I, I actually think Henderson now is better utilised in a six than he is in an eight. I think they've got his best performances in that six role. You know, the passion deep to Diaz for the, for the third goal is absolutely sublime. I think he's really good. I think this is a myth that he can't, that he's not defensively aware enough. I think this is absolutely nonsense. Um, and the other the other game that sticks out in my mind is, is where Old Trafford was in the sixth. He's absolutely superb. So, yeah, I'm just, 
I just wonder where where that evolves with him because he can't really evolve into that position in this side with Fabinho there. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right that that Henderson. I mean, I think even before Fabinho comes in, we get to to Kiev, don't we, with Henderson in that position, and we miss him so much when he's uh, out of that team for the Man City away game. It's a massive thing that we have to play one album there, and he really made that position his own. And uh, Fabinho came in, and everyone thought, well, that's Henderson out of the team, but he adapted, and I, I think you're right. I think his, his best position right now probably is that he probably doesn't have the legs he did two years ago, where he was able to play that right hand side of midfield position. You know, and was in my opinion the best player in the league that season. I know that's a that's you know controversial, and De Bruyne wins it, and everyone seems to be happy that De Bruyne won it. But I actually thought he was most impactful in the league that season. I don't think he can quite do that anymore, even though tactically he's very aware on that right hand side of midfield and compliments and sacrifices himself for Trent and Salah so much. But um, in terms of a cup final, I mean Fabinho's going to play, Thiago's going to play. If Anderson's playing, it's on the right midfield. I don't think there's any question for me. Okay, fair enough. So, Andy, how many will win? How many of the four? Yeah. Two. Okay, Chief. Chief's going to say four, aren't you? I'm only going to say four. It's on, it's on. So, while it's on, it's on. All right. Happy days. All right, then. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, up the Chief says it's going to be four reds. 